Hello and welcome back to Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical with me, your host and your resident art historian, Joe McLaughlin. Welcome back. It is episode 52. And this week on the podcast, as we're nearing the end of season two, I'm bringing you something a little different, an episode all about Celtic mirrors and Iron Age treasure. Intrigued? You should be. This week, I sit down with British artist James Handley to discuss something completely unique to Britain, Celtic handheld mirrors, which have been found all over the British Isles. But, I hear you ask, why are these mirrors so important? Well, to begin with, they are incredibly rare. There's only been about 29 or 30 of these incredible mirrors discovered up and down the British Isles. They're also incredibly detailed and complex in their design and build, which when you think about when they were created, which is approximately between 300 BC to 70 AD, it's beyond mind blowing. We also know relatively little about them, but what they do offer modern day viewers is a look into British craft and design history and how people in Britain used to live their lives. It's also incredibly interesting to think about where they were found and why they were in such places, which James speaks about so beautifully in the podcast. James also discusses one of the greatest Celtic art finds ever discovered in Britain, the Battersea Shield as well as some of the biggest torque findings in Britain. This episode celebrates the craftsmanship, beauty and design of these objects and why they deserve to be considered as some of the greatest artworks ever made in Britain. This is a brilliant episode. I learned so much about these beautiful works of art speaking to James and they're incredibly fascinating and they definitely warrant a trip to the British Museum where you can find a few of the things that we talk about in this episode. And I would seriously recommend that if you're listening, please do look at the images of these works and look at the show notes for further information. It really is a whirlwind. So sit back and relax as James and I discuss Celtic mirrors and Iron Age treasure. But hmm. We're going to talk about something quite special and very unique to Britain, and that is mirrors how did you come across these mirrors what were you studying what were you doing and yeah yeah well i i went through a bit of a identity crisis uh in about 2018 mm -hmm. with my art practice where I, I didn't feel anything was going anywhere i didn't really know what i was trying to talk about so i kind of went down to the the basics of like who am i and I kind of came down to uh, English and British of, I mean, it's and other things, of course, but um, when you get that, you're like, okay, so what, what art styles are there that are, you know, of that kind of ilk? And then suddenly you, you notice all these different things that have kind of been left alone and things. So you got your uh, Celtic crosses, as you were saying, mm. but these ones, these ones are amazing because they're just small items that are extremely personal mm. but um you know they're they're just very beautifully designed and decorated and things and it's you just there wasn't any information about them really they're just kind of like oh yeah th this is a thing uh let's go with another thing on the other side yeah. so I, I feel that they need to have their uh, time in the sun 
because they've been buried for very long times no and I completely agree with you and even in like researching for this podcast I mean you sent me a fabulous resource called um celticmirrors.org and I was like oh my gosh like this is going to be like a huge site if I lose my place but there's only like 28 29 mirrors on there because that is how how special these are how rare they are how little have been found and because of that there's really not a lot of information on them and and a lot of it is kind of science not scientists historians and I suppose scientists as well speculating on why they were made how they were made it's really fascinating yeah Yeah, it's, it's really interesting especially when you look at when these were found so some of them are like very recent but most of them were found like in the 1800s and things like that I believe there's one in the Netherlands I'm not one gonna I'm gonna be talking about mm. but that's in a private collection and no one's seen it since yeah it, it's just kind of disappeared but it is a very beautiful mirror um if you were to look at it it doesn't look like it was made like 2000 years ago it looks like it was made yesterday yeah, and I would say that for all of them, actually, but bar mm. signs of aging, which obviously give it away, it's, yeah. when you look at them, they, on first inspection, they seem quite unextraordinary. And then when you kind of stop yourself and you say, oh, no, these things were made, what, 50 BC? Uh, so it's 50 BC to 50 AD, because uh, there's a, a, like a speculation of time. Most of the mirrors were in like 50 BC to 50 AD, but the talk is said to have been 100 BC to 50 BC, which is a, a very long time before. Mm. Uh, and that, that's, that's the British Museum saying that. So I'm, I'm going to take their word for that. They don't have to do their research on things. <laughs> yeah, well, if they've done it, you're going to take it, aren't you? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just like you see it and you're like, oh, it's not that special. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just kind of done two colors and then kind of alternated but then you look at it and there there is a logic there's there's forms there's like almost kind of like mirrored things uh all the all the style is very kind of like triplet way so like there's three circles uh two circles on the the top extremely curvilinear Mm. and then when you notice it you you can start kind of like following it around and it is absolutely amazing it's beautiful and to think that um and just for anyone sort of listening at home these images will be on my instagram highlights reel so please go along and check them out but when you say mirror you know you might think in your head it's just going to be this huge big thing but they're actually these tiny little handheld objects and they're so special and so so beautiful um, so let's talk about the first mirror that you've brought to my attention. So that if I say this yes. wrong, I do apologize. The Desborough mirror? Yeah, the Desborough mirror, which was found in, guess what, Desborough. No way. Uh, in, yeah, I know, right? Uh, in North, Northamptonshire mm-hmm. uh, in 1908, which is, uh, you know, pretty early on, but it was the time where you could still find something and kind of take it home with you. So it's quite nice but it's been uh, kept. It is in the British uh, Museum, but it's not on show. Uh-huh. And I think that's a common thing. Um, but they found it whilst digging for ironstone. And I, I, I'm guessing they were, it's iron, I know that, but mm-hmm. like, they didn't find any bones. 
and I didn't find anything in it. So it sounds like it was either dropped or like a ritual sacrifice, something that I, I think I'll go into in a minute with all of these. And it is one of the best examples of Britonic art in this way, because it is extremely kind of unique in its style compared to other uh, like Celtic and Latin styles, which are completely different to say uh, Gaulish and uh, Irish art. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know enough about Pictish to say anything, but that's like, uh, that's modern day Scotland, if anyone's wondering. But uh, they, it's just, um, I'm trying to find the right words, because mm. this is always the, the hard pit, bit for it, because you're trying to kind of isolate it and say, this is what makes it special, but they do look st extremely similar, but there is something different in it, because there isn't a overarching pattern there is a, a curving form but these there is a kind of like riddle in it which is hard to kind of decipher but once you figured it out it like it adds another dimension onto it and you can see it on all these mirrors like you, there is kind of like almost an animal in these things but also it's not kind of what's the word, uh, attached to any particular animal. It's almost like it's a shapeshifter. Yeah. For, for me, I mean, and I'm, as we're talking, actually, I'm on the British Museum website, which mm. I'll leave a link to anyone that's listening below because they have, um, some, some of the things that we're going to talk about are in the British Museum and they have a brilliant tool where they've taken completely, like, really, really high-res photos and you can zoom right in and it just makes them totally come alive. And for me, what, I'm amazed at is the level of symmetry in these and that there was an mm. understanding and the craftsmanship that this was all done by hand. This wouldn't have been made in the way that we make it today. It would have been over a little fire that someone had put together and there would have been perhaps molds or they would have melted metal down and then shaped it by hand. It's, it's, it is absolutely mad, isn't it? Because <laughs> someone's, yeah. someone has sat down Mm. with a, a sheet of metal and has like engraved this with I mean the, the only way they could have like done it is with compasses and straight edges and there is no straight edges but you would need that to kind of do this mirrored composition there are a few if you were to look at the Celtic mirror thing mm. on um on that you, you can see that there are mistakes and there are some which are seem to be kind of like eyeballed um but they're not the best examples and that's why i've stayed away from them <laughs> um and it is rather impressive how well they are like mirrored it, like that symmetry is actually perfect if you were to like flip it over a little bit yeah it's it's incredible and even the symmetry in the pattern itself so it's not so there's shapes but then within the shapes, they, they filled them in as well. So it's not just lines. There's there's forms and patterns within hmm. the. You know, like when you were little and you used to do that thing where you would take your pencil for a walk on a bit of paper, yeah. and then you would fill in where the lines have joined up and made funny shapes. You would fill it in. It's kind yeah. of like that. That's how I would describe it. But beautifully symmetrical. But then they've also got there's there's symmetry in. The design within 
the infill. So they've got yeah, this, yeah. this thing of three lines one way, three lines another. So three lines horizontal, three lines yeah. vertical. And they've repeated that. And yeah, it's it's quite uh, it, that's cool. I think they call it the the basket weave engraving because oh. it, it it kind of record, does the basket weave. Um, mm. If you were to think about it in that way, like what people would have used is they would some of the first like art styles would have been like plaiting uh, like reeds together to make baskets. So I think it was trying to put that into the design but at the same time it, it does kind of add an, another kind of reflection it's um like there's a thing in uh anglo-saxon art where it's like chip carving and that is just playing with the reflections it, it's like you look at it one way and then something else pops out it's 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 um it's it, it's in every example this basket weave it's everywhere mm -hmm. so that obviously yeah. means that it was you were trained. That's what it tells us, though, surely, that there might there be workshops. Yeah, well, some people say um, from the book that I'm, I was reading, it was uh, Alice Roberts, uh, the uh, the Celts. It's a it's just like the Celts, and there's a theory that they all came from the same workshop. I'm I'm not too sure about that myself because mm. I mean they're all over the place. Like we're talking. Uh, like France, uh, apparently there's one in Scotland, but it definitely doesn't look like any of them. Mm. And then you've got the Netherlands. It's extremely south, like southern Britain, mm -hmm. and that side. And it's if I was to go into the archaeology thing, it's it's rather interesting to see where these are actually found because uh, if you were to look at a a tribal map of of Britain before the um, the uh, Romans came there were there was the Belgae in what would be Dorsetshire okay and the and the Belgae are actually what we call Belgians so uh -huh. the Belgians were in Belgium and in Northamptonshire and it that some people think that they kind of had they were kind of migrating into Britain as well so there was like a trade network going on so and it, it is very strange because you've got the Trinovantes and Julius Caesar even says all these different things. So we do have a source of that. There is a migration pattern and you can do that with these mirrors because they're all found in the same areas. It's rather interesting to see these kind of uh, artistic movements, if it were. Something that I find really interesting and I, we haven't mentioned yet, it's, it's a, when we say mirror, it's not how we would use a mirror it's not if, if, if we think of what we use today it's not mm. got that reflective surface or that mirrored surface it was essentially so one side is incredibly detailed and worked yeah and then the other side it's highly polished so um even though it is brass you you still be able to use it as a, a functioning mirror but it mm. has another connotation with it as well because the only people who would be using these mirrors would have been people with high status. Um, and I believe the bird lip one yeah. was a uh, bird lip mirror, which was uh, another one, which is absolutely gorgeous. It was found in a burial containing three skeletons of women. So 
what that kind of says is that like they these women were very important and they could have been i don't know druids or some kind of a spiritual leaders in a certain area and they were and they were buried with this it's funny because i i had read a little bit this sort of tiny little bit of information that you can get on each one it said it's that just, they were very seen... small amount of information yeah, isn't it yeah, it's, it isn't... it's mad it, it's so interesting though but um they were saying that these mirrors because they were so precious and because they're even where they're placed on the body in these burial sites mm. they're kind of like a status symbol kind of like for men if you were a great warrior you would have you would be buried with a very impressive sword to sort of serve you in the next yeah. and then these mirrors would do the same because it was all essentially back then the only way you could really have a reflection was or, or catch your reflection was in water and water was like very, yeah. very sacred and even then you have to look at the mirrors and you go like oh my god it looks like like oil being dropped on on a watery surface mm. you know these are are kind of uh almost appropriating water and making it handheld you know it's you can see through a container and see the water but if you had a a thing which literally looks like it, it could be the surface of water it's oh. it's a very powerful symbol isn't it if you could like show that you're holding water something that you can't hold in your hand like you must have yeah. been seen like a almost like a witch or somebody that has magical powers surely like that would have blown yeah. your mind yeah so it's either blasphemy or it's a, a an important cultural item that must be valued you know um i mean even then you have to remember that a lot of uh the oldest religions in the world i think if you had to celtic paganism which we don't know much about or norse paganism um and even hinduism um all of them water is extremely sacred it's 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 an important thing i don't know much about hinduism but like the river Ganges is one of the big things. And the fact that it's a river, I think is important. Uh, from what I've read, uh, like, it's likely that these people saw water as kind of like a, like a skin between one world and another. Mm -hmm. And if you had this mirror, it would be kind of like looking into the spirit world. Oh, oh my gosh, that must have been terrifying. Yeah. Like, well yeah <laughs> I, I guess it would have been wouldn't it because you know this person's basically saying like i can i can speak with uh the dead effectively yeah my ancestors yeah. but then also hmm. interesting i wonder because you know how later on in our history or british history actually hmm. i think in even european history kings were seen as they had the divine right of god like god had chosen them i wonder yeah. if like a sort of very early prelude to that that if you possess one of these things where you could be seen to communicate between living and the dead that you were mm -hmm. you know a rightful ruler in some way it just just a th like thinking out loud um, yeah well i mean if 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 we were to take that with things like beowulf like the, the divine right in that word, word isn't so much uh like you are descendant of someone, but you have to work your way to get the things. So like, it's like uh, in Beowulf, he kills uh, 
Grendel and Grendel's mother, and then he becomes. A, and then he becomes. Um, that's it's part of that, but it's all interesting to say that because, sorry, it's a bit of a tangent here, but he actually kills Grendel's mother in water. You know, it. I don't think anyone recognizes how like mad Beowulf is because he kills something underwater for half an hour. Oh. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense, but it's kind of a good story. Um, but yeah, even then, it was like uh, if you had water, uh, like a watery surface, uh, you could like speak and ask for favors. Uh, it's like a, a communication to to the gods, to your ancestors. Um, I mean, if, if we were to go on to uh, things like, yeah, so Chettle Park Mirror was found, I believe, in a mirror in uh, an old, like, pond, effectively, in 2003. Which is we so, caught, so recent, so recent. Yeah, yeah. and it, it wasn't found in one piece, unfortunately. It was found in several pieces and um, brought together. Mm. But the, the, main, the main, like, slab or, or plate was... Um, was recovered and it is like almost um it's nearly perfect that one yeah yeah um, absolutely um i mean the desperate mirror kind of looks like it's been like exploded mm. uh but then you have like the bird lit mirror which is again it's it's, it's really interesting but and what it, kind of annoys me most about um like the bird lit mirror is the way it was found in 1879 yeah everyone kind of looked at the designs and saw similarities to that of like Egyptian art and things. So, so what were you going to say? No, just... no, no. I was going to say yeah. that um, for me, I think the bird lip mirror is my favorite because it has like colored enamel in it, but it's again, oh, yeah. it's very, very, it's not aged well, shall we say. Um, no. But actually comparing the three mirrors now, the Chessel Park one, which you've just mentioned, the one that was found in parts at the bottom of, of a mm. lake or a river. Um, the main surface of the mirror where, you know, where the design is, where it's been sort of etched in, it's mm. really beautiful. And yeah. the, like, it's not even as if, do you know when you try and draw a straight line now, it's quite yeah. different and it's never quite straight. These lines are just, although carved, just so perfect. It's, I mean, I keep saying it's insane, but like I have tried to do engraving on um, things because I, I, I try and make uh, jewellery oh, highlight on try. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, engraving is mad because you, you need to get a really kind of like soft metal. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you want to engrave, I don't know, silver, it needs to be very fine and you do lose the details slowly just because of the natural wear. But like, if this is brass, like, uh, sorry, bronze, it's, it's, it's a soft metal, but it's not that soft. You know, you, you can still, you know, give it a good whack. Yeah. You know? And th this person had probably one of the, the calmest hands in all of history, yeah. I think, because I don't understand how there isn't like a, a notch that isn't like, it's like, oh yeah, there you go. He slipped up a bit there yeah it's perfect it's it's yeah. perfection um it's not in any way 
as detailed in terms of decoration as the mirror we spoke about before, the Desborough yeah. mirror, which has got that lovely, what did you call it again? The basket. basket. Yeah, basket weave. Basket. Uh, I, I, mm -hmm. I have... See when you see the um the Chettle Park or and I think it's maybe the bird lip, it might be a bird lip. One which there isn't any basket weave. If you actually look up, there is a little bit, a tiny bit. And um it's it's not enough to even say that it's even there. But I think maybe it was not finished or they decided that it actually looks all right and that we're not going to bother with it. Either way, it kind of adds another dimension into it because then you have instead of like saying this is the forward and this is the back. Now you have these two forms, which are kind of like jostling for your visual um, attention. Mm -hmm. So instead of like, um, say, if you had if you had basket weaved it, it looks like that's the back. Yeah. But in I think it's like uh, Chettle Park or the bird lip. I haven't got the images up in front of me. I keep forgetting which one because I think it's the Chettle Park because yeah. Now that I've zoomed in, there's a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit right at the top that has yeah. that basket weave. Right at the top, yeah. And um, again, even if you look at those two mirrors, you, you can kind of see that they're both very similar in design as well. Yeah. So like um, the, the, the center circle at the top and the two cir circles are very similar in their take, but then they, I think uh, the bullet gets a little bit more like uh, elaborate in the smaller bits, whilst the Chell Park is just, it's, it's just perfect in its kind of composition. Mm. It doesn't need any more. It's, yeah. But you know, you're right, it really doesn't. Mm. And I just can't believe how, one, how old this is mm. and the craftsmanship that has gone into it. And even the handle, the handle is four rings near enough perfect circles what are the two most yeah. difficult things to draw a straight line in a circle tick for craftsmanship and so, i just could do it it's yeah. just mad and it, this would have been yeah. like freehand it were, I, I don't i don't know if there would have been molds or anything like that but from well I've, the, the, it was cast it was cast those handles but you even then you'd have to carve the wax and then put the clay or maybe even a soapstone i believe so to make it it's not it's not an easy thing to do because you get the wax um the wax uh, model and then you have to transfer that into there and then you also got the flashing of the metal when you cast it it's it's an absolute mind it takes a lot of time let's yeah. put it that way and you can lose a lot of detail in that process mm -hmm. and um yeah no it's just rather amazing that like it there could have been things that were going wrong but that none of it did none of it went wrong you know and it survived and like i don't think anyone thinks like oh you know he's talking about the ones which did survive they must have been really um durable look at some of the mirrors there's there's ones which are just basically flakes oh my like God. that was a mirror no no these aren't durable they're yeah. just very lucky absolutely and i'll leave a link to that brilliant resource um the mm. mirrors.org i'll leave a link to that in the show notes for anybody that's listening it's like i said there's only there's definitely under 30 in there and the variation in terms of how they've kept which i also think says a lot about the land and where they were as well that some have completely mm. near enough disintegrated into nothing and that some are they'll 
not glue, they look like they were made yesterday, but they have aged a lot better, more like a fine wine than something yeah. has, has where it's like it's it's green, but it's not a bad green. It's not it's not horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just oxid but, just oxidized and been in the uh been in the ground. Yeah. Um, no no com no conservator is ever gonna touch it to try and get rid of it and make it shiny again. No. I, it, it, that's how it is now. No, but that's it's it. Sad. And some things yeah. are so delicate. It's kind of like, is it the Sutton Wu? Um, uh, Sutton Who, yeah. Sutton Who, sorry. So the yeah. Sutton Who um, helmet, the original helmet, yeah. uh, which is so disintegrated now, but they've done like a, like a modern day render of what it would have looked like in all its glory. Yeah. Um, and I have to thank you, by the way, because I have been to the British Museum so many hmm. times and I've never ever ever found myself in the Celtic art section for and I don't know why hmm. but it's completely filled with amazing treasures that have been found by detectorists you know people that go out with their metal detector and find all these amazing hordes so it's just it's a, a literal treasure trove of amazing things that were made and have been left in the ground and forgotten about but that's something yeah. you, you touched on really briefly because when we had a chat bef before we pressed record we, and mm. weeks ago we, when we were talking about what we might want to discuss I had said to you oh my gosh like what does it mean that these things were like were they dropped or were they stolen like does this mm. show you like how people migrated across Britain and you made the really beautiful point that as you've touched on that that these things are, are are burial pieces and you take them with you into the afterlife so hmm. they are really really special and they, they held they were very very important if you and they're found with lots of other things within a burial site yeah including one thing which i read at the british museum and i was like oh my gosh i have to ask james about this yeah including tweezers because they, they seem to think that they used to be able to manipulate the surface of the mirror with tweezers, like a, like a kind of funhouse thing. Like that's what, when I when I think of mirror manipulation. So part yeah, yeah. Of like, is there like a playful aspect to these objects as, as well as being sacred? Could you could you have you know said to a child, "Oh, come here," and then sh showed their sort of Oh, I think it's, it is a, a fun house kind of thing because, again, the mirrors are never going to be completely smooth. Mm. I mean, I might be wrong. I'm pretty sure someone could correct me. But, you know, if you've ever, I don't know, polished something really there, you, you'll notice that there are little lumps and bumps and things. And when you look at it, it is kind of funny to see, that, you know. Um, so I, I don't see why that wouldn't be the case. I know that uh, the tweezers, um, if if you looked like you'd preened yourself and like looked after yourself, you mm. clearly were using a mirror. Yeah, so, true. Uh, to the, fact that, the very fact that you are kind of like, you've, you've got rid of some of your eyebrows or you've got rid of some of those um, loose hairs on your face just shows that you has, you own something that allows you to look good. You know? Mm. Yeah. So it isn't... It's another um, kind of like power play with the mirror, but um, it's, it's a hard one because there is 
both a religious and a secular reason between the two. And the styles that do it, they are simply a tool to kind of imbue an item with some kind of uh, meaning, if it were. Hmm. It's, I mean, it's just such a shame we don't know more. And it's something that when I was researching for this, that I came across, obviously, that we, we spoke about the, the Chessel Down Manor. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've to kind of like try to talk about the artistry and the, the uh, workhouses or the workshops and what we think. Mm. And that I read that the, the Chettel Down Mirror was purchased with an art fund. Um, yeah, yeah. A donation. And you can like click through onto their website to be like, oh, find out more about uh, why we help buy this. And I click through and it has that sort of standard information about a piece and it's and it says at the top artist unknown and it just made mm. it just made me laugh because I was like well yeah like why, well, why it's, oh, there's no because there's no marks that says it's from a certain workshop although you, you said that in the book that you're reading they seem to think it was but it's yeah it's just it, there's just so many questions that I have James <laughs> yeah yeah no well it's it's, it's it's interesting to think of it not so much as like um you know they're not going to put their initials down on the, the bottom of the mirror um but if they were to working in a similar style you you could notice that there is similarities mm -hmm. but at the same time people copy other styles and then build upon them so you, you maybe you could see one mirror and then another one was it because it was the same person or is it because the person saw it and was taking that as inspiration to make their own mm. it's it's a you know you can never find out if it was the same people yeah but that there does seem to be a timeline where all these were roughly made as at this point like a, a hundred to 150 years apart wow. and it's um it's it's kind of strange to think of that especially when you have to remember that in the old in like antiquity mm -hmm. from what i understand you're the, the art historian here so you can correct me here but they don't really credit artists because it wasn't really a thing it was more of a like you're, you're part of the guild yeah you know you're totally right yeah. it's collective effort yeah no you're absolutely right they didn't and even masonries right. like people that worked with stone it would it would be the the head of the the workshop that mm. put his initials in and there's tales of like um apprentices sort of trying to very sneakily carve their name into into a part of a wall just to say oh i did this and yeah. being sort of dismissed from work because you're not allowed to do that and it's not about you you are a collective um if you will not yeah a, yeah not an individual well it's 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 much like that isn't it because yeah, the right. artwork that is being made is not made to kind of show how great you are as a craftsman it's there to kind of uh show how powerful a people you are because mm -hmm. as much as like we can say oh you know this is the old days and these are beautiful items you know most of them are there for some kind of uh social reason yeah you know there's a reason why people buy expensive paintings you know and it's not always because they like it it's it's because yeah. it's like hmm, i've got a jeff coons 
like, yeah. cool. I don't, I don't really like Jeff Koons, but someone bought it and someone likes it. So, <laughs> and it's but, a full status. And you're right, it, it is a ticky box exercise sometimes, particularly with with artworks and and things like this. But yeah. how interesting to think that this is perhaps one of the earliest forms of the power that a possession dictates. Yeah. But I mean, so, I mean, going on from the, the possession thing, it's like, it, when you die and you are buried with the mirror, mm. I think it's important to recognize, especially with the Battersea Shield, it, it was found in the Thames. Yeah. You know, and that one wasn't, it wasn't buried in this, in the um in anyone's grave it was kind of i think the theory goes is that it was cast into the into the thames as like some kind of offering mm -hmm. yeah so like it wasn't simply like um like i'm gonna hold water in my hands it was also like i'm going to give the most valuable thing to to the water to kind of help me out mm -hmm. so I mean, it, it, there is a humbleness as well to it. Like, um, and again, with the Battersea Shield and things, you know, it's a beautiful, beautifully made object with, a, you, as you said, the enamel. It has the red enamel on it. Um, but it was not used for any battles. It was too flimsy. Yeah, which is which so, I think is so fascinating. Like, and I had actually... So I had never, and I've told you this previously, I had mm. never heard of the Battersea Shield until uh, we started speaking. And I was talking to my partner tonight about what we were talking about. And I was like, have you ever heard of this Battersea Shield? And he was like, of course I know what that is. It's like the most significant find of Celtic, of Celtic art in, yeah, yeah. in the UK. And I was like, okay, that completely skipped me in Scotland, but okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, but it's beautiful and the yeah and, and the theories and the stories that where it was found that has sparked mm. off um for anyone that, that doesn't know essentially this was i mean when did they find it? it's 18 the 1850s 50, 1857 so mm. around the same time as they found the bird lit mirror right okay so. how interesting and they found it because they were they were building a bridge essentially over the thames and they were dredging mm. up the river in order to sort of put the foundations of the bridge down yeah and they found this huge burial site but they seemed to think it was like a burial site or it was like a the site of a great battle because there was so many bodies and weapons found i mean hmm. my gosh like well just... they say that there's a theory saying that it was uh it was like the scene of uh, julius caesar fighting the Celts yeah i'm i've i've heard that i've looked at it and um most of the people who um who are authorities say that doesn't really make sense because again why would you have a shield that you you can't use you yeah know? but that's um it. so it's 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 a really interesting thing because it is just a kind of like a vanity shield that they decided to discard but even then you know, there are a bunch of other swords and things that they found along with it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's similar to uh, Laten. And if you want to, if anyone knows about Celtic art, they call it Laten because it's a, a lake in Switzerland. I, I think it's Switzerland. And they found 
like loads and loads of swords, loads and loads of like jewelry. I think they even found a chariot. And what people were doing, they were simply just throwing swords into the water as offerings. Oh. You know, it's it's like, um, here's my most valuable thing. Please take it and bless me. That's what they think. I mean, I'm trying to think of it in a way that is both religious and secular. So I'm, I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. No, it's not. just, it's... It's, um, it's a different way of thinking. Well, and it was a different it way is. of, you know, offerings have always been part of religion and mm. part of societies. You know, you, mm. um, you know, like the Mayans used to sacrifice people yearly because they believed it helped keep their land fertile. Just like yeah, yeah. if you believed that the water was, was a separation between one world and the next, and in order to keep the gods happy, you would you would give them your most precious item because essentially the battlefield yeah. shield is this beautiful decorated shield, and like you said previously, it's just it's so flimsy. Like it wouldn't have done anything in the way of protection. Mm. And it's just so well designed. I don't think that it, it has no wear of any battle on it. I think yeah. that's the important thing to also recognize. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing I do want to say about the um, the offerings as well, don't think that the British didn't sacrifice people. Oh, really? Because um, in Scotland, they found a place and it's literally called the Drowning Pool. So, Well, this rings a um, bell, actually. Yeah, it's somewhere, well, it's definitely in Scotland. I can't remember where. Um, but if you were to go there, you could see it's just a, like a, a room. It, you can sit in it and it's it's about up to your knee. But apparently it was like they would drown people in it as like offerings. Mm, so, uh, you know, we're, we're not any better. I think we've all kind of accepted that anyway. But Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, um, I think I would much rather sacrifice a shield than what I would say myself yeah. or a family member. Um, yeah. But how interesting. I, so I actually, I had read this theory that, there's another sort of spin-off from it that they seem to think that maybe the shield was cursed and they were sort of getting rid of it to sort of rid the family of a curse. Well, that's, that's, a, that's interesting. Isn't it? Isn't it? Really, yeah. Yeah, because in Bath, I mean, this is after the Romans came over and made the baths in Bath, mm-hmm. but um, they found curse, a curse tablets in there. So like... Uh, what was it? One of them was uh, like, this person stole my coat. Uh, please, Diana, may you uh, make sure this person is impotent or something. No. Not, they're not nice cur- curses. And let's be honest, that guy was probably out of line. But he just stole the coat. But, oh, so you know, it, it shows those kind of things. But I, why would the shield be cursed? I don't know. I'll have to look into that because that's, that's news to me. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's just, it's just like a, a theory. Um, but mm-hmm. I would be more inclined to to agree with you in the in the terms of that it was probably a sa- it was probably a sacrifice because mm-hmm. I watched this video on YouTube which gives you a very sort of brief history of um, of the shield and they say essentially of course it had to be something that was an offering because when you go into battle you make shields from wood so that if it gets damaged it's not that big of a deal when it's very easy, easily 
fixable and or replaceable, mm. but because of the sheer amount of detail that's in this shield, um, it would just be, and the flimsiness of it, because it's all these different sheets yeah. drawn sort of tacked together, essentially. It's really, really fascinating. Um, mm. But then there's another beautiful item, which again, I had never seen. I had seen maybe in like, Ireland, but I had absolutely no idea the British Museum was essentially had a wing full of them. And yeah. it's that gorgeous um torque. Yeah, the Snethism gold torque. It was found in a hoard with a bunch of other torques as well. Uh not not so elaborate. I think if you you went to the British Museum, did you see it? There's like yes. a bunch of them. oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. so many of them. There's that one talk though that is called made of electrum, which I think is a great name for a metal, it's just, <laughs> which is a gold and silver mixed together. But it just makes this silver metal, and it's like, oh, oh, oh that's nice. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 mad. It's mad because that is a lot of gold. That's the, a lot of the, gold. And this, the craftsmanship in this. If you, mm. if anyone is listening and is looking at these mirrors and you think, nah, I don't think that's impressive. Like, okay, they could have probably done that. Go and look. At this torque it mm. is seriously impressive it's like something an imperial emperor would wear like this is what i see yeah. it's so regal it's so highly decorative and it was a necklace and it, the the series that you sent me which i will I link in the show notes below the british museum are flipping brilliant at getting their curators mm. talking about the items in their collection engaging in their collection and the curator of the Iron Age section in the British Museum. Um, she actually, in order to really fully understand what it would be like to make one of these torques, which essentially is like, for anyone listening that, that doesn't know what it looks like, it's like a semicircular necklace that has two big hoops at the end. Mm. Kind of like, would I say it's what you would maybe put a cur your curtains behind I don't know I would say it's like a horseshoe made out of gold oh there you are see um, that's it bang on James yeah. horseshoe made out of gold there you are um, it's nothing to do with horses though uh, so that's that's unfortunately not a tra uh, translation of the item <laughs> but it's it is like absolutely mad when you think about it because what if you do see it it's made out of 64 individual gold wires, which are then twisted together, like soldered together. And then another two terminals, which are hollow. They're not solid gold, because that would be mad. Um, then welded on. And then there's a bunch of punching. And then you've got your basket weave designs again. Um, again, you can see it. This one's more in uh, more 3D. Yeah. So when you do see the basket weave, it doesn't it doesn't have the same kind of effect. Because let's be honest, the, the mirrors are a lot more like uh, like a painting. Yeah, they're more two D. Uh, so when you see the basket weave, it's like oh okay, this is going this way and this way and this way. The basket weaves are a lot more. I don't know. It's, it's like a basket weave, but in negative. Mm -hmm. So it's they've as they've chipped it out. It's not. Yeah, it's imagine, like imagine something in reverse, like yeah. in negative. You know, the black turns to white, the white turns to black, that kind of thing. Yeah, I've got and like it, embossed and embossed in my head, that sort of hmm. uh, reverse, raised or, and flat. Yeah. But, um, well, 
I mean, it's just like the um, the Battersea Shield in some ways. Some most of it was uh, like that. Some of the design is uh, repoussé and chasing, where you kind of you hit out a design and then you turn it upside down and then you push it back down to get different um, like details involved. And uh, that involves a lot of manpower because not only do you have to like flatten the metal, but you also have to raise it push it down so if you want to make it a taper or you want a certain kind of gradient you have to know where that needs to end and then you also have to fill the whole thing with pitch What's otherwise uh, it's it's basically like um that was the best way of describing it it's like it's like tar right okay uh, and basically what it was done is it will keep the shape of the metal after you hit it so that it can be easily molded instead of like getting the wrong side. So imagine if it was just air, mm -hmm. you, you can't say where it was going to go unless you, you know, filled it up and made it a little bit more malleable using the pitch. Um, I've, I've not done it. And I think my description shows that. So, um, yeah. And then all the other decoration is done with punches, which is again, just like a pushing, uh, certain like circle designs onto it to kind of again make these kind of uh, things pop out. I mean, it's just amazing, yeah. and the British Museum saying it's it's over two thousand years old. Yeah, it's over two thousand years old, and it was found because someone was um, plowing, and it just threw it into a bush. <laughs> well, maybe not that one in particular, but like. Uh, because there were several other ones, they found all these gold talks and they were like, oh God, we found something here. Um, it's, it's just amazing. And um, you sort of talking through the process there, the um, the, British, the the point I was I was going to make before I, I couldn't describe how best to, to sort yeah. of describe this torque before you were like horseshoe, is that mm. the curator in the British Museum went on a course and like taught herself how to make these as a way of yeah. trying to get into the mindset of someone 2000 years ago trying to make it but she obviously used modern day tools and even yeah. there's like a 10 minute video which I'll link in, in the show notes below and she's got a blog about it as well where even mm. she's like this is an insane amount of like you have no idea how how much work this is yeah. it's insane and the so more, you, you yeah. wouldn't do it for any other reason other than some kind of calling to it. Yeah. Yeah. But they they were seen as like in the blog post that I was reading, like she was saying, mm. obviously, like the British Museum have quite a lot of them, and some of them mm. are really badly damaged because they were necklaces, and people would sort of take them on and off, and because they would flex the the metal so much, they tended mm. to snap. Yeah. And but some that are like really badly repaired, but they seem to think now that that was the whole when they broke it's kind of part of the life cycle of it and it's not to be seen as something that is hmm. flawed or unworthy of being worn again like it would if a piece of jewelry want a piece of jewelry that we want to do if it broke we would be like oh it's broken well hmm. that's it that was just it just meant that that was another part of its life cycle and they would try and repair it very shoddily just to show that the age of an item and there was hmm. something that there was the age and yeah. weight of an item was also a status symbol. 
yeah i mean if you had something really i mean you still do if you have something really really old it's like oh where did this come from mm. you know yeah true yeah. it's funny that that's I mean, we're not in thing yeah yeah we're not in the game of thrones thing where everyone's got their family sword but <laughs> um yeah i mean if you if you had to talk and like it had been repaired but you still had these amazing little details that would be good i mean the thing is is it was found in a hoard so again not a burial not an offering but a a choice to place in an area mm. so i've heard several different possibilities of it okay and uh, one of them is again an offering which means that you know they were kind of putting them all in to kind of high uh, offer them to uh, the earth god or right. something um again we don't know enough about uh britonic you know religion for the, anyone to say anything about it yeah but it does seem to follow more in regards to uh like fear yeah <laughs> you hide something because someone's coming by and you don't want them to take the most valuable stuff it's I it's probably an invasion and some people think that this is a talk that uh uh Boudicca might have worn. I'm I'm on the fence on that one because why why wouldn't she wear that? Um, and it is in the area of Norfolk that the Iceni were controlling. See, this is this for me when Boudicca is mentioned, like she just seems to mm. prop up everywhere. Boudicca all the time, every year there's something new about Boudicca going on. Because mm. was it not like four or five years ago they've seemed to think that they like she's buried under. A platform in King's Cross. That's where they seem to think her uh, body is. But um, so someone, um, uh, I've heard that. Uh, I believe that was actually just the poet who wrote it. Oh, <laughs> okay. And I and I've just um, victim to it. But um, I I think it's so fascinating. And I'd never, I never would have thought that that's what someone would do if there was a threat. Because it's it's what you do now. Like if you've hmm. got, you know, when you were little and you've got a brother and sister and they're coming to take your toys you, you would hide your toys or you would hide your mm. sweets because you wouldn't want to share them at Halloween or you, you know you, you hide money in, in your house and stuff like that I love I just think it's so fascinating that yeah. 2000 years ago someone was like we need to hide this like there's yeah. an invasion like it's just so interesting so interesting. I mean it's you've, you've got that with like uh, uh, Celtic artifacts there but you've also got the romans where they, they just have massive coin hoards because mm. they left them and they couldn't come back but if you want a more contemporary version of a hoard samuel peeps yes. you know, yeah he hid a wheel of cheese during the fire of london you know well, it's, it's i mean new. yeah so i um one of my modules when i studied so i did art history and history at university mm. and we had to read his diary and mm he very famously kept a diary his whole life and when I read that chapter I, or that part of his diary I was like I could really get on board with this guy he hides his cheese and he I think he had his wine as well um, yeah. and that was the first thing that he went back because his house never got burnt and that was the first thing he checked on was that his cheese and his wine was okay I, just, I think it's amazing yeah. I mean, he, he did other things in those diaries, and it's probably not best <laughs> to read uh, a lot of visiting ladies of the night, from what I understand. Yes. Yes. 
but I think ev everybody was doing it though let's be honest yeah, yeah everyone was doing it but um parcel of yeah yeah but, but um it's 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 really interesting to think of that though because again they were just kind of left so that means either they were forgotten and let's be honest that is a kilo of gold that's not going to be forgotten mm -hmm. um or the people never came back which is actually quite sad yeah yeah absolutely. where did they go with what what happened and I think it's it's one of the, the saddest things because like if you see half this stuff, it survived all these different things, especially in um, England and Wales and Scotland. Like there's been a lot of wars, there's been a lot of looting, but these have survived for that long, and we found them pretty recently. Yeah, it's you know it's a whole different world that we've escaped from, but I don't think we ever really needed to escape from it um and i think i think that also just shows you how special these items are though that they've survived things that they've outlived generations of families and humans and hmm. civilizations that have come and gone invasions wars as you said uh, you know plagues famines whatever hmm. these have just been very quietly waiting um yeah and it's, it's it's quite sad because like, when I was saying about when uh, they, they were doing the birdlit mirror mm. and were like, oh, these have themes of you know, ancient ancient Egypt and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was a bit sad about that because it was like, oh, we're not going to look at these as objects in their own right. We're going to look at it as a, in a classical sense. So like one thing that I I personally feel strongly about is that you know there is kind of like a almost eradication of it especially with say like the roman occupation of of britain you know it, it suddenly becomes classical like mm. you you build statues you don't you don't make these mirrors because it's not part of the roman way of life you know you, you make badges but they're they're for your tunic they're not for anything else it, it is a cultural Kind of like imperial push out of all yeah. these beautiful ways of cra crafting and as much as everyone says um uh, there's the romano british style it's still extremely roman you mm. know you, you do have some curvilinear things but the the human form and realism is more important than um than that because um if you were to look at like Roman art against Celtic art, the Celtic art is extremely abstract. Mm -hmm. You know, there are like animals there, but you have to really look for it. Some of these circles look like eyes. They're, they're looking at you from every angle. And once you, you figure that out, suddenly it doesn't make sense because then you follow this and then this becomes another part. Yeah. But then when the Roman, uh, when you look at that when compared to Roman art, it's it's taken away it's a lot more we're going to put a statue of the emperor here mm. and it's going to look like him I, I i mean maybe i'm bitter but uh no but i think it's yeah. i think it's a great point you know it's a suffocation of a traditional creativity and mm. the thing that has 
not only have you know the craftsmen themselves have been driven out or they've had to go to war or they've had to you know retrain and do something else or, or whatever mm. their their craft has been buried and forgotten about and not celebrated in the in the way that it that it should be because these yeah. things like you said the longer you look at these things and even I've got the torque on my screen at the moment and I also still have the the Desborough mirror and mm. every time I look at them I'm seeing a different shape a different animal a different suggestion it's it's they're beautiful and and then your your brain doesn't figure out is yeah. is the is the is the uh, the basket weave the fo- the figure or yeah. is is it the the non-basket weave the figure wait i don't know it seems to be kind of like undulating between two possibilities like it, it can't decide mm. oh i just i yeah. just love it they're just they're just amazing amazing things and um it's been so brilliant to to talk to you about them and mm. like i have to thank you for like opening up my appreciation towards these beautiful objects which you can see for free in the british museum mm. and there's a couple of examples in uh museums up and down the country as well but they're just they're just fabulous things um and i've absolutely loved talking to you james so thank yeah. you so so much no, um, no. thank you for having me on no, yeah. no, of course. I've, I've honestly, it's just so fascinating. Um, before you go, where can mm. everybody find you and connect with you? Because you're an artist. Yes. So I do have an Instagram. Uh, it is the only way to really get to me at this point at the moment. Uh, and that is James Handley Art. Uh, so it's at James Handley Art. Um, I might have to spell that out. So it's H-A-N-D-L-E-Y art. So James Handley art. I will leave um, a link to that as well in the show notes below so people can connect with you once they've listened Mm. to the episode. Um, James, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast previously. It's okay if Mm -hmm. you haven't. I shan't expect an answer. But No, I have been listening. Don't uh, worry. I know what's coming. Uh, you, you know what's coming. Oh, okay, great. Mm. So I always end my podcast by asking my guests uh, the same question. And it's quite a big question. Mm-hmm. And you can take it as large or as personal to yourself as you want. Mm. And my question is, why is art important? Uh, because it is, it's a language, I think. It's, it's a... It's a way of communicating mm. without saying anything. That, I mean, it sounds a bit wankery, to be honest, but it's like the important thing about art is that you, it kind of gives you an, not so much an identity, but it gives you kind of like a sense of purpose. So like, you know, when I was looking at these uh, Celtic mirrors, you know, I felt, like this is a part of me. This is like mm-hmm. something that I have kind of inherited. And I don't know how to speak the language of it. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to figure it out. And like everything is going there. Like every, every kind of decision you make is in some ways communicating something. Mm-hmm. So art is simply the way of kind of communicating. Well, yeah, communication. It's important to show uh, the art thing. I wish I wrote it down now. I had the whole thing. 
Did you? I see. I, I was, <laughs> so I was interviewed. Oh my god, like a year and a half ago yeah. for a little magazine, and um, that they asked me that question at the end, and I was mm. like, "How dare you throw that back on me? It's such a tough question, oh. and it's one that, off the cuff, but I, I, you're, I completely agree with you. It was like mm. your answer is beautiful. It is a way of communicating, and it's a way of allowing us to sort of remember civilizations that have like long since gone and ask important questions like why are these things here where did these people go where why didn't they go with their owners um and actually contemplate on sort of sadder aspects of things as well and what it is to to be human and to have lived through these things when people didn't really read or write but they could make and teach Mm. people skills and 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 learn and leave yeah, like cultural touchstones and things yes, like ways of I mean I, I personally think that like language itself is an art yes. you know so like I, I, I'm personally really into like learning language not, not so much prefer perfecting them um, but learning languages so like Scots Gaelic uh, uh, Welsh uh, I want to learn Cornish at some point as well really? oh. uh, but that's all I can say um <laughs> more than me like, oh you know scots gaelic is ex- extremely breathy it's like ha ha well, iron brew yeah it's, it's, um it's a shame because we weren't taught it at school like it was something mm. that completely died out and then there's regional there's regional um scots dialect as well so yeah yeah, yeah. so you have like people from glasgow speak a certain sort of scots tongue which yeah. is very um it's not it's, it's not gallic it's you well you sound like you're speaking english but everything is completely abbreviated and it's just a lot of sounds it's it's uh it's an unbelievable thing and they're trying to teach mm. that and scots gallic at schools now um as a way of like trying to revive these dying out yeah. but it's important and it's, yeah it's like um it's it's again another like way of communicating yeah. It adds something else. It's like I, I, I in, I'm going to talk about my practice in like a very simple thing. It's like trying to inject the past into the present. Mm. And it's not in a way of like my way is better. It's more like this is something that can only add. I don't understand how it takes away. You know, yeah. like when, when people speak a different language and they, you know, communicate, it, there is a bit of conflict in that but Mm. it adds something i don't i don't understand how it can take away yeah no absolutely and yeah for me i i lived in germany for a couple of years and when i moved there i i didn't speak a word of the language and i still don't speak much of it now but i became (laughs) completely fascinated with how they named things and how Mm. literal they were as a language how literal everything was like there and things like an ambulance is called a Krankenwagen, so a sick car. Yeah. Like, I love that. Krankenhouse as well. Yeah, oh, I love sick, it. sick house. Yeah, and, and how literal they are completely fascinates me. But then I also see that and how they feed into society and how my German friends are. They're very sort of direct. And mm. yeah, I love that. And I sometimes think Scots, Scots tongue and Gaelic can be very florally and, I, and a bit sort of, sounds a bit like a song and I think yeah. a lot of my Scottish friends when we talk we kind of sing at the end like our, our very sort of natural yeah, 
it comes up we go up yeah but um, i mean i personally think especially in like english it's kind of like a, a conflict between the two of mm -hmm. like a, a floral almost uh like um yes i understand english is not really influenced by any celtic language but we are also you know people of celtic origin yeah well a very specific people you know we're not we're not that anymore we're not this can we all just get along please blah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. but um you know you have like the directness of german which is where it came from like west german is english uh west germanic mm. but then you also have this kind of need for riddle and uh kind of magic and things which is not it's not got the directness of German, but it's not got the florality of of like a, a Celtic language. It's just got the the two, and it's 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 a it's amazing. I love English, mm. but you know, I also understand why people don't like it because you know we can't decide how to spell things. But yeah, you know. how and how in some languages things are gendered and are one thing or another. Yeah. yeah, it's completely fascinating. Anyway, James, thank, uh, thank you for letting me having a little run at the end there which no, is completely go for it. and i'm going to keep yeah. that in because i think it's it, it's so true um but thank mm. you so much it's been brilliant hold on i'm gonna put the video back on just to see. and there you have it another episode of joe's art history podcast once again i'd just like to thank james for coming on and speaking so brilliantly about such an interesting topic these mirrors were something that in no way would ever have been on my radar so it was so brilliant to give James a platform and have this conversation with him to really give these really unique and special objects a chance for their moment in the sun as James so wonderfully put it um, I really hope you enjoyed it and like I said there is lots of different links in the show notes below and I would seriously recommend that you go on to my Instagram page at Joe's Art History and if you go along to the number on my highlights reel that corresponds to this podcast episode which i believe is 52 you will find the images there as always if you would like to get in touch please feel free you can email me joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can dm me on instagram which once again is at joesarthistory if you've enjoyed the episode and you'd like to get in touch with james please do feel free it always means a lot to guests when you get in touch to say that you enjoyed their topic of conversation and his Instagram handle is in the show notes below. Now as you may or may not know we're getting to the end of season two of Joe's Art History Podcast. I've just got one or two more episodes to go and I'm looking for people to take part in season three. So if you've enjoyed any of the episodes or think there's an artist that we haven't spoken about and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast I would love to speak to you so please do get in touch via email or Instagram. If you've enjoyed this episode and think someone you know would also enjoy it, please feel free to pass it on to them. It would be great to get as many people as possible listening to the podcast. It would also mean a lot to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or on Amazon, which you can now rate via stars at the top of the page. So you can give me five stars out of five, four stars out of five, hopefully five. It does take a lot of time and effort to put this together and it takes one second of your time. Finally, I've been Joe McLaughlin, your host and your resident art historian here on Joe's Art History Podcast. I've loved bringing you this episode and I can't wait to welcome you next time to the podcast. Until then, keep learning and remember, art is for all. 
Bye.